So Jason and I have just been talking through um, metaphysics, um, Gnosticism, and Christian humanism. Those have been the three things that we've really pounded in on is is that at the end of the day, whatever you want, whatever this thing is, whatever this beast is, it is trying to dehumanize the very nature of mankind. You know, whether it's Gnosticism, where it's it's metaphysics, a bad metaphysics, evolution, all of this stuff is trying to dehumanize and bring on a new form of humanization to mankind. So we've just been working through that. And to be honest with you, David, it's kind of been um, Jason has just been bringing me up to speed, kind of giving me a classical education that I never had. (laughs) you know and 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 i'm just been learning you know i'm in my 40s now just turned 40 last year and i've realized that i just didn't know how the world worked yeah yeah you know well uh join the club i I was about 60 so Mm. you know you got a 20 year advanced start on me (laughs) Mm. when'd you turn 60 just two days ago no i'm i'm actually 64 this year well you're looking good man well thank you very much it's it's amazing what uh, you know, camera filters can do and long distance viewing. I mean, uh, I mean, to be honest, it's, it's kind of spooky to me. You don't even look like a white guy. Knox. I mean, you know, <laughs> I've tried my, I tried my bestie. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what kind of filter you got on, but it's really incredible. <laughs> well, you know, anyway, no, it, it and, and you know, now I, I'm sure Shannon can go way beyond in, in some of these things and, than I can, because my focus has been in the sphere of law, government, and politics. And uh, and in fact, the law is reconstructing us as human beings. Mm. Um, and, and we have to appreciate that, and, and we'll get into that today. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll tell you, there's, there's a verse of scripture that... Um, came home to me as recently as probably early December. So this is what, uh, three, four months ago. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about um, no foundation, he says, can be laid other than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. And, and then he says, now we're going to build on that foundation. You're going to build with hay or straw or gold or silver. And, and I used to think of that verse this way. And maybe Dave, Shannon, this, uh, Shannon, this is agnosticism too. But, but I thought if Christ is the foundation of my sal- salvation, you know, he's the mediator between God and man. And, and, and without Jesus Christ, there, there is no salvation. So he's the foundation. So I looked at it. Soteriology, uh, uh, in terms of soteriology, mm-hmm. not cosmologically, right. that Christ is the foundation of all things because he is the firstborn of all creation. He is begotten of a generative God. In him is the form and the archetype of all that will thereafter exist. And and to ex- to limit who Christ is and the revelation that we have of him as the only begotten son of the father, the second person of the Trinity and what is implied in the incarnation, the resurrection and the ascension and his glorification. We, we limit who Christ is 
And we really wind up, I think, in a subjective theology that's focused on the me mm -hmm. in a very existential way. We don't start with the objective knowledge of God and then allow the objective knowledge of God to to interpret our subjective existential experience and moment. Does that make sense, Shannon, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, we've been um, – this is kind of part of why – I think this is an important conversation. So I, I by nature, growing up as a charismatic, have yeah. I, was, I was probably a theonomist and never knew it. Um, yeah. uh, but because of we our, all are and don't know it. I, I, I see, <laughs> see, I'm trying to tell Jason that all the time. Like Jason, he's been, he's been trying to make me into a theonomist. Yeah, I'm That's, trying to. Yeah. He, he, when yeah. he talks, he is. It's just natural for him to do that. But um, what what I've I've always rejected how people view. Um. And this is because I think they, they have a bad view of a natural law. Yeah. Um, but I think the way that I'm starting to understand common law and natural law, I think I have a place for it now. The mm -hmm. way that I think the way, the way that I'm viewing it under a theonomic worldview. So, I, you know, general revelation, we've kind of in, in the evangelical world have uh, poo pooed on a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. because we give general revelation to the world. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying like, no, actually, this is God's set, one of God's books to you of who he is. Right. Um, and, right. so, and so but the way that people have interpreted um, natural law and common law have been the reason why I've inject, re rejected it, not because of the fact of what it is. Now, when you truly understand what it is, you're like, oh, my goodness, this is everything I believe is a theonomist. Right. <laughs> um, and yeah. and it's everything that I believe, too, as a Christian that sees God winning throughout time and space. Right. And seeing the, the beautiful unraveling of uh, revealing of God's plan through history where man is maturing up into this place. Right. And so, you know, part part of when I was going through your book, The Naked Court, one of the things that struck me and th I think we start here, David, and then you can we can go back. Um, and okay. get to where we are. And Jason, anytime you want to, yeah. but I, I thought this was a great place to start. So I was on Jason Whitlock and we were talking about the Penn State men swimmer swimming for the girls team. Yeah. And, and everybody is up in arms about this right now because their girls are having to swim against a guy and the, this guy is inside of the girls locker room just letting it all hang out. Right. And <laughs> nobody yeah. wants to say on the team how bad this is. But everybody right. can see it. He's breaking records by 45 seconds. Right. and uh, yeah. he, He's just pummeling the girls. But when yeah. I was reading inside the naked court, one of the things you said in there was that, hey, if you are paying attention to what happened in Obergefell, then this is the sports. Nothing is a, new. It's nothing new. It's going to roll out because of the fact that it allows them inside of the, the Obergefell standing to be able to identify however they want to, to identify. So right. we've given them That's a precedent right. inside of that Obergefell that no one knew we were doing. I think I heard, um, I heard one lawyer say, you know, people keep asking me, it was Jeff Schaefer. He said, yeah. people keep asking me, when are we going to hit the bottom? Because it just keeps going down. He, and he said, people, well, yeah. we, we've hit the bottom. When, when the yeah. Obergefell happened, that was the absolute bottom. Everything now is only mushrooming out. We're only right. going out from here. The bottom has hit. Right. right. So, David, how do we get to a place 
where, because from what I understand, common law would have never allowed for something like this to happen. No, no. So, so how do we get to a place where no one yeah. knows what common law is and we have boys on a swim team for girls? Because I think having the, re- the practical reality of that right there and tracing it all the way back to what it used to be and what it was and how we lost it is really helpful to get to see where people yeah. where it's practical. Yeah. Um, you know, let me let me answer that um, question by making perhaps a couple of statements. Can you hear me? OK, no, I, I hear don't you great. No, feel great. like I'm yelling. OK, OK. Um, there are there are a number of things that have contributed to 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 biological males swimming against girls and going around exposing their male genitalia to women in the locker room. There, there are a number of things that have contributed to it. And and so we can only focus today, you know, on on the specific topic that we have. Where where are we in American law and how did American law get get here specifically? Yeah. But ultimately, going back to what we were talking about, one of the things that I've realized is that in large part, we're here because of Christianity. Because Christianity, in my experience, now I I was raised in the church from the nursery up, you know, sitting on the front row in what would be called today conservative, Bible-believing, evangelical churches. Now, when I say that, I wasn't just raised in one one faith tradition like Baptist. Um, I, I was in Baptist church a long time. I was in the Cumberland Presbyterian church for a long time. I was met my wife in a Methodist church. You know, I was kind of moving around sort of speak with my parents. I was in a, an instrumental Christian church, not the non-instrumental church of Christ. Um, and I, I've been in Presbyterian churches since about 1990, I guess, 91. But you don't hear much objective theology preached from pulpits. What and, and what I mean by that is that all of our doing must follow our knowing. And, and to know God is eternal life. It is to know life. Without the objective knowledge of who objectively God is, we will not interpret our existence correctly. That's the sort of the point of why I started out with that first. So how often do we hear really explicated to us the doctrine of the Trinity and why it is a practical doctrine fundamental to all things and the foundation for all things? How often do we hear that? I never heard it. And I'm in a really solid church right now, but it's not taught that way. It, I mean, the, the sermons preached in our church today are, are really fine, but you have to sort of pick it up in the bits and pieces and think, oh, I see how this week fit with last week fit with last week and the week before. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, another piece comes in. It's not it's not taught in a systematic sort of way. And how often do we talk about creation? I mean, when you really think about it, since Darwin in 1859, and then particularly, let me turn this phone off. Um, and, and when you think particularly after the uh, Scopes trial, the Christians have been embarrassed by the doctrine of creation. We will espouse it and we will 
confess it, but we don't understand it and we're embarrassed by it and we leave it inside the church walls. Mm. Now, why that is so important, and, and, and going now to your question of the common law, the common law is rooted in a natural law. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about natural law because there are different concepts of natural law today. So yeah. sometimes when you see somebody talk about natural law, don't assume they're talking about what you are anymore. And Shirley McLean and I are both talking about God. You know, it's right. a whole different concept. But, but, but then that natural law was rooted in the existence of a creator who established law pertaining to the very nature of all things for the purpose of bringing glory to himself. And, and so, as I said in, in the book, you know, rock, there's a law of rockness. You know, rocks are great for building walls and using to create aggregate for concrete and all that, but they're not very good to eat. They'll provide no nourishment. It's, it's outside the law of its nature, right? As I said in the book, trying to be simple, that's, there's a reason we say you can't get blood out of a turnip. Right. Okay? It, it, it's not there, but it'd be good to eat. It may not build a very good wall. Okay, And the same is true with us as human beings. And, and when we lose this doctrine of creation, we, we lose the foundation of everything, including law. So as you can see, just in what I've said then, if common law is rooted in a natural law that's rooted in the fact there's a transcendent God who has established a law pertaining to not only the existence of all things, but the relationship of all those things to the other things. So that they fit in, a, in an organic unity, but yet with a beautiful diversity and distinctiveness of, of being in existence, so to speak. When, when, when you lose that, well... Um, all of a sudden, you, you can't have common law. So when Christians sort of became afraid of the doctrine of creation, would not challenge the, the metaphysics, let's say, of, of materialism, mm -hmm. which cannot explain anything. Now, you can have all kinds of uh, what, do, what do we call it? Um, integral steps, you know, showing perhaps some some form of microevolution. But if all there is is really matter, then then how do you explain motion? How did matter come into motion? And how did either a single element of matter, a single atom, let's say, or or uh, energy? How did it ever become a diversity? How did how did bits, lots of bits of atomistic matter ever come together to actually form a tree? Who provided that sense of motion and unity to those things? They can't answer any of that. Now, they'll huff and puff and they'll blow their house down and just picture the Wizard of Oz with all of the smoke and his mirrors and his, all that. But back behind it is puny little man who says, I have no idea in whom we live and move and have our being which is a pill to a pagan world. We won't say, well, I know you don't like mine. It's a myth. That's what Canada just said the other day, right? right. right. Counseling on this and say, you know, I don't like myths either, but I particularly don't like yours. Mm -hmm. Explain to me 
how how matter became either 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 got into motion, how matter became diverse, how matter became unified, and tell me how matter became metaphysics. How from matter do we get concepts of beauty and and justice? How do these metaphysical things come from pure physical things? There's a great story by, uh, I think his name's John Lennox. Does that name ring a bell to you all? I don't want the singer? Is, a, <laughs> oh, that's John Lennon. John, that's John Lennon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or Annie Lennon. John, John Lennon. <laughs> I, I think it's his name, but he teaches math or did at Oxford. Oh, and he yeah, telling yeah. A story. Yeah, that, that, that they had these faculty dinners, and so he and his wife were sitting next to this guy in the chemistry department, and, um, and his wife, and so they started to talk and ask what each other did, and Lennox said, well, I, I do mathematics. I'm very interested in the metaphysical and theology. And the guy and the scientist said, well, we got nothing in common. He said, well, no, I think we do. He said, how? And, and Lennox said, well, uh, let's look at the menu here. You, you believe everything is explainable in terms of pure matter, right? Yeah. And, and so this menu, explain this menu to me strictly in terms of, of ink and paper, and the guy, he said, because right here it says chicken, salad, vegetable, <laughs> dessert, beverage. Right. Explain this paper to me strictly in terms of its material properties. And the guy said, and, and Lennox said his wife looked at him and said, get out of that one, I dare you. But see, he, he realized, I can't explain this thing that goes beyond the mere matter. And that's what Paul was doing on Mars Hill. We don't do that. As our friend you've already alluded to, Jeff Schaefer says, we accept the constraints of a godless humanism and think we can prevail and reform or change anything by arguing within the limits that they give us. And that is impossible. It will not happen. And, and, so, and what, yeah, go ahead. And, in so you've been a Christian a lot longer than I have, but in your experience, this is a problem that goes all the way into the pulpit, even in the pulpits, you don't get. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You don't get it. Yeah. And, and see, there's a billboard. I just wrote a commentary about it. There's a big billboard coming into town that says, uh, Jesus provides uh, freedom. Uh, Jesus provides freedom. And it says addiction, fear, and something else. Right. Now that is a true statement. But what you need to say first is Jesus provides freedom from the dominion of sin and the law of sin and death. That's where all these other bondages come from. You're talking about Jesus as an instrumentality to your better life now, and you have no objective theology, and the people in the pews aren't interested in it, so pastors don't give it to them. Now, I'm not talking about all pastors. But that leaves us then vulnerable uh, to live in the world. So, so there's so, almost and, a, you know, there's an existentialism that has grown out of the materialism. And instead of saying, hey, we should pull up the roots of this problem, we just feed the, feed the existentialism with a little bit of uh, 
Jesusentialism. All right, before y'all get too yeah, deep, explain existentialism and to go explain that and say that differently for me. Okay, well, existentialism is a it's a uh, metaphysical claim that meaning can still be found within the experience of an individual, even if the the universe itself is meaningless. Okay, so that we we can live in a meaningless universe that's pure matter and energy. And that where nothing has a nature in and of itself, so there's no proper use of anything within the world. But I can still but find. I meaning. can find meaning within my experience by my choices and actions. So as I was saying, the stuff that I made up is absolutely nothing and means nothing and, and is nothing. But somehow but I can find some sort of meaning from nothing. I, well, it, but then it, I can make that meaning. Is that that, that, I, that you it make can be meaning. meaningful to yeah. me? Yeah. Um, you know, that I, but then, but then that doesn't apply any to anything the, in the world. Yeah, right. It doesn't. Your apply. meaning doesn't apply to anything in the world right. whatsoever. There's, there's no external meaning. There's no objective meaning. But there can still be subjective, experiential meaning. So, so the problem with common law then is that yeah. it anchors. It's all anchored to, in. It's anchored in the meaning into the reality. In, into an objective reality, a created order. And 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 we have disconnected it. So, for instance, yeah, thank you, David. I, have, I was going to ask I, you, I have, show me how that works. I have a, a a a couple of quotes here from you that I think will help you understand what's happened to the law uh, and how what I'm about to say is incompatible with a common law grounded in a natural law that's grounded in a creator who has established a law relative to all things. And the relationship of all things to each other, so an could, organic whole. Could you say that's incompatible with reality then? Because that's yeah, also, that, it, in that case well, is yeah. what it is. Our view of reality. Now, Molly, Molly Cyrus would say, "Live your own truth." Right? There is no objective out there reality. So the only reality I can have is what I create for myself. Now, hear how the Supreme Court has put this in the law. Now, this this is from 1992. This is a quote from. Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which is the case that that in 1992 reaffirmed, quote, the central premise of Roe versus Wade, which was 1973. Now, this is the case, uh, Roe and Planned Parenthood, that are now in front of the Supreme Court. It was argued last December in a case called Jackson uh, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Yeah. So here's what the Supreme Court said that that you and I would say this needs to be attacked. But listen to what it's saying about the law and the human person and the relationship of the human person to anything. Quote, our obligation is to define the liberty of all, not to mandate our own moral code. Now, there's an element of truth to that, that you and I would say, you're right, the court cannot mandate its own moral code because there already is one. Mm -hmm. But the question is, how do they understand liberty? Now, this is what we were talking about uh, in the, the other podcast. Yeah. That, uh, what is liberty? What is my individual liberty? What is civil liberty? Because we have different uh, aspects of liberty, okay, a natural liberty and a civil liberty, which are different. But, but then the court in that same case went on to say this. Choices central to personal dignity 
and autonomy are central to the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment. Now, for your listeners, let me just explain. The 14th Amendment adopted after the Civil War, it was one of the three Civil War amendments, says that no state can deprive a person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Okay, so before um, I can deprive uh, Shannon of, of, of liberty, I have to show that there's some law that describes some wrong or some duty or some duty that's that the breach of which is a wrong. And then I have to show by a due process, a fair process, that he actually committed that wrong. And then I can take away his liberty or fine him or apply the death penalty. But if if there's not declared to be a, a duty, the violation of which results in some kind of sanction, then I can't touch him. Okay, so that there's that word liberty. Now, we need to appreciate that liberty was understood at common law as the ability to move around without prior restraint. It was it was called locomotion. You know, I can get up and mm. go down the street and visit my neighbor, and I don't have to get a permit to do it. This is what we were now, talking see, Marshall, about. See, martial yeah. law would be the opposite of that. See? What's happening in Canada right now? Yeah. Yeah, what's happening in Canada? What's been happening in a lot, a lot of our cities? Yeah, that's right. Is, is my ability to move around and go to a restaurant. I can go to a restaurant. I don't have to get a permit to go to a restaurant, right? So, now, let's let me show you that sentence again. Choices central to personal dignity and autonomy are central to the liberty protected by the 14th Amendment. Well, I hate to say it, the 14th Amendment right to locomotion and move around really was not dignity and autonomy. So, so while I had the liberty to move around, I couldn't just say, hey, uh, Knox, I, I really like your house, and it's got a swimming pool in the backyard, and <laughs> I, I think I'm just going to move in. I hope you all don't mind. I'll just take the back bedroom. Well, you, you can say, no, that's a trespass. That's right? Right. You, don't, you don't have that kind of liberty. You don't have that kind of autonomy. And then the court said this. This is fundamentally, this is the worldview of the court in the law. This is from 1992 at the heart of liberty. Now we're going to get... Okay, liberty somehow is tied up into my dignity and autonomy. But he says, but really at the heart of it is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. That's a Supreme, that's Court, that's a Supreme Court decision? Yeah, 1992. That's the, that's you the, shut that's up. the justification for continuing Roe versus Wade. I haven't read that before. I, haven't I thought either. I'd read all of the. Yeah. Wait, who, and it says beliefs you know about that? these matters could not define the attributes of personhood. Okay. Why is that word important? Because the 14th Amendment applies to persons. Mm -hmm. So being a person is a liberty to define the mystery of life the meaning of the universe of meaning and of existence. And it'll, and, and, and so those things cannot be formed under compulsion of the state. Now there's an element of that that's true too, but that doesn't mean that there is no given defined concept of existence of meaning of the universe in the mystery of human life. It comes from God. But when you've, when you've eliminated God from the equation, 
Where else can it come from? Well, they just made themselves God, though, because that's right. The individual is yeah, right. able to define those things, and then they're saying the court doesn't have any jurisdiction over the definitions of that individual. But somebody has to provide that metaphysical transcendent meaning. I mean, all you, I mean, ha- you, all you, you have left is the coercive power of the state to define it. That's right. All you have left. Now, now here's so so that's 1992. Now let us move that's to a, 2015. What were you going to say? The decision well, I was just going to say in that o- in Obergefell. The, what? Before I, you go to Obergefell. Before, before you go to Obergefell, that is. That is a return to Roman imperialism in terms of a metaphysic, right? The, where yeah. you can have your religion so long as it doesn't, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want so long as it doesn't keep you from coming over and dropping your pinch of incense to the, to the Caesar, right? That there's a, that the, that there's an overarching religion, imperialism, um, and, Everything else is fine so long as it stays in place, stays in your head, stays in the where you. you know, um, but that's that's a and, and doesn't interfere with anybody else's claim to be an autonomous self defining their own world, except for now, in the womb. Now, in the womb. Now, yeah. now that works pretty well as long as you're you know, as long <laughs> as long as we're atomistic monads who never bump into each other. <laughs> right. Okay? Well, if that's the but case, the problem then, yeah. is we bump into each other. Which is the whole purpose now, of a civil law. That's right. So, so now here, let's let's bring that forward. That's 1992. Let's okay. bring it forward to the very first sentence in Obergefell. And if you all see the value of this sentence, you will be in the top 98th percentile of Christianity. <laughs> I think that's the way you'd say it, right? There'd be only two percent who who would, who would you'd, you'd be with. We don't get it. We don't see its importance. Or we see it and we say, nah, that's never going to go anywhere. That's so stupid, it couldn't go anywhere. Well, here's the first sentence. This is the in the beginning God verse Mm. of law today that was the predicate for saying male and female have no objective given realities and are interchangeable. Marriage is therefore a convention of man created by man in order to assure that we don't go through life lonely and have companionship. Now, that's exactly what the court said. That's That's what marriage corresponds to. But how did they get there? The first sentence. The Constitution promises liberty. There's that word again, right? They're all rooting it in the 14th Amendment and the word liberty, which under the common law would have been the ability to move around. You won't go over, Bob, you won't go over to Fred's house? Yeah. Okay, go. And, you know, if y'all have sex in there, I don't know. So just keep it to yourself. That's fine. You know, it may not be good, but I don't know. It doesn't affect the public that, that we know of. So so they're taking this word that the common law would have said locomotion and, and, and see, they've already contorted it. Liberty is now defining my meaning, my existence, the universe, mm. and my dignity. And they said, so the Constitution promises liberty to all within its reach, a liberty that includes certain specific rights that allow persons, we'll break this down in just a moment, within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. That's, that is... That so you you can have a religion so long as it's a Gnostic one. That's 
That's what they're saying. You, because at, yeah. at this, because at this point, as Christians, we say, no, that's not how, that's not reality. You're not talking reality anymore. Yeah. Right. That yeah, reality has yeah. a specific nature that we either conform to and live or we don't conform to and die. That's right. But see, that depends upon having a doctrine of creation. Right. Which we don't talk about. Mm. I mean, we, we might recite the apostle. I believe in God, you know, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And that's as far as it goes. You know, we, we read the first two chapters of Genesis strictly because you have to get to them to get to chapter 3, verse 15, where soteriology kicks in. I'm not interested in cosmology. I'm not interested in anything objective. I just want to know, what do I do about me? I got, I got problems with depression and fear and alcoholism and all this stuff. Who's going to save me? So, so hear what the Supreme Court is saying now. It says that it includes certain specific rights. Now, they don't say what they are yet, although in this case, they are a right to get a marriage license from the state. Now, what's interesting there is you have a liberty to force the government to take an action. That's not typically what liberty was understood as at the common law. It was not to force the government to act. It was for me to act. Mm. So the question then becomes, if you, if you want to carry this out and begin to look at it, so if I have a liberty that includes rights and part of that liberty is to compel the government to act, then how can I have a right to abortion if the government doesn't help fund it? Right. So now can I, and Clarence Thomas brought that up in his dissenting opinion, that, that liberty is, ne- it's been understood as a liberty from government, not a, a liberty to compel an action of government or a liberty to compel a benefit from government. Okay, Dave, David, I, I for, okay, there's two things. It's going to get worse, but you can get, go ahead. Oh, we'll come it? back to it. Yeah, okay. Don't forget where you're at because this is really helpful. Um, a couple things. When you were talking about manhood and womanhood, they blew up manhood and womanhood in, in Obergefell. Blew it absolutely right. up. Which right. means uh, something clicked for me when you said that. If they've blown up manhood and womanhood, then they blew up the, the nuclear family. That's right. And they blew up kids right. and, and who the kids belong to. That's right. Which is why parents in Lydon County and other places across the country are having a hard time communicating to the people who serve them in their government schools who the kids belong to. That's right. You, you just put that together for me. So I've always known with government education that there's been problems there. But what happened with Obergefell, it actually exposed it even more so because now there is no connection between mom, dad, kids the kids, in one sense or another, can belong to the government. Yeah, I, I want I want to come back and talk about that in just a moment because because this this will really freak you out because <laughs> oh, what you just said goes back to the Supreme Court case from 1925 where we had already blown it blown it up. Well, but even, I'm but even the fact that you, the fact that that you have to get a license to get married in the first place means that your marriage already belonged to them. That's right. You had to, if you had to ask for permission to get married, then you, don't, then you, you already don't have a right. Have the liberty. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's so, right. I mean, now just, that's just that's take now, out Shannon. The fact. That's actually the marriage bill that we have in virtually every state except for about six. Unless you get a permit from the government, you can't marry. 
<laughs> what that means is, and what I'm trying to help Christians understand, and it goes over their head, it, it, their eyes glaze over, is I said, this is the claim by man, by law, to have absolute, total jurisdictional authority over what God has created and who he gave it to. This is the same problem that Nebuchadnezzar had and that mm-hmm. Herod had of thinking is that, somehow is that why we have they're a godlike. Is that why we have a president that acts like a donkey? <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure that acting like an elephant's much better. But, well, no, uh, I, <laughs> ag- yes, agreed. Facts. Agreed. Facts. I, yeah. I mean, look, you know, shades of godlessness are god is godless. That's right. Yeah, 100. Right. Yeah. So, but but do you see what's happened here? Is that that we've said government owns marriage? Now the fact that it that in the past it said that only a man and a woman could get married and ministers could could solemnize them so that they were given legal recognition. Here is the point: in Tennessee and in most states today, you not only have to get your fiance's permission to marry, and that of perhaps their parents, if you're chivalrous, but you have to get the government's permission. You go get married in the state of Tennessee, or, or I'm sure even in the state uh, of Idaho there, if you didn't invite the government to the wedding and get their permission, then what you do in front of your minister is irrelevant. There, the state will not recognize your promise no matter how sincere, no matter how greatly witnessed, no matter how solemnly you were charged, they will say that was a nullity in the eyes of the government. And in Tennessee, add to that that if you're going to be a minister who performs wedding, you have to go get the government's permission to even perform weddings. Right? You, so, you have to. Well, the, the law says who can perform them. Right. I, well, but and, I, and, I was a minister then, from California and flew in to perform a wedding. And yeah. uh, I wasn't allowed to sign a Tennessee because um, yeah. I did yeah. not I had not filed as a um, minister with the Tennessee government and then yeah. received my permission to do weddings. That's right. So we had That's to right. have um, an uncle of the uh, bride, I think, come in and actually <laughs> sign, even though yeah. I had done the, the wedding, which. Who knows? Maybe that was illegal, too. Sure. Well, you, you could have done the wedding and then said. Now, uh, for the law to care, for you to actually get Social Security benefits or something else, uh, you need to go find a county commissioner who can sign the paperwork. Okay. Okay. Now, now, okay. So we're we're getting off. Let, let me. I want to come back to what you just said about exploding the family. Yeah. But but I want to finish this this sentence with Obama. Yeah, yeah. That's so what I want you to take about. Us. Go ahead. We've David. got liberty, mm-hmm. which is a liberty of autonomy to define all of reality. Now, as as Shannon was saying, that's very important when there is no God that gives reality or meaning because the world is meaningless. I have to create my own meaning. If I can't create my own meaning, then my life is meaningless. That's where my dignity comes in. And therefore, I have to have autonomy. That autonomy is, is the legal word liberty. And then it says within a lawful realm to define and express their identity. Now, that's the word that that people will look at and say, oh, well, thank God there's a, a, a limit to that, right? There's a lawful realm. 
And I'd say, yeah, but who controls the lawful realm? Right. Just, that goes back to just, what Dave was saying. Uh, I mean, Shannon was saying about imperialism. The Supreme Court will decide the, the lawful realm. You've just established an existential metaphysic as the official government religion. That's right. The Supreme Court has become God. That's why I said in my book, The Naked Court, it is damnable in God's sight. Yeah. They have claimed a jurisdiction by which to control for all persons their ability to define and express their identity. And the one identity you cannot define and express, at least in relation to other people, is a Christian identity. I don't want a woman undressing in, I mean, a man undressing in front of my wife and daughter in the locker room. Well, that's not an identity you can have, David. Mm. Right. Your Yours is outside the lawful realm. Because ours has a different metaphysic. Ours is challenging the, the godhood of the state by saying, yeah. well, actually, there's that's a right. god above you. That's right. Now, now let me let me show you how this works out, and then I want to come back, Dave, to to your statement about the family. In the Dobbs oral argument, um, and I've talked with our mutual friend Jeff Schaefer about this a lot. No one even, as he said, mused aloud as to whether the unborn were persons who might be entitled to equal protection or due process. Yeah. There was no discussion of what it meant to be a person. Now, what I would call probably the leading, at least in my view, the leading Christian legal organization in the country on their website talked about the fact they'd filed, they supported the Mississippi law, which prevents abortions after 15 weeks. Now, the fact of the matter is, most abortions occur prior to 15 weeks. But 15 weeks was chosen because clearly uh, the, the human being is not viable at that point. If you extract it from the womb, it'll, it'll die. I mean, we, science can't even keep it alive, okay? So they picked 15 weeks, and that's fine, in order to challenge the court's concept that, that the state has absolutely no interest in anthropological truths prior to viability outside the womb. Mm. There is no such thing as a human or a person until at least medical science can keep that thing alive. Now, so that's why Mississippi picked it. Now, this leading legal organization said, we support the law. Now, I'm quoting almost verbatim here. Because at 15 weeks, the unborn, and they probably use the word child, the unborn person can suck their thumb, moves around, can feel pain. And there are a few other particular sort of things that seem humanish. Okay. Now, what is going on there? This is what Jeff Schaefer and I were talking about. We are saying because you can suck your thumb and move around and feel pain, those facts should be interpreted to have some value or meaning. But why? 
what gives those facts any meaning? Mm-hmm. And if it was prior to moving and sucking and feeling pain, would you concede it's okay then to kill that person? Well, you would think that Christian organization would say no, but see, it was unable to offer or willing or felt it could give in light of our modern humanistic liberty is my own autonomy to define the universe. If I'm going to operate within that system, I got to give some kind of facts that might indicate that there's another autonomous thing here that gives it some meaning and value. Mm. I can't just assert that because it is distinct from the mother in every regard, except for its nutrition, its own DNA structure, its own life and so on and so forth. I can't assert that that's a person. So I'll just give you a bunch of disparate facts and hope you will draw the same conclusion I will. But the abortionist says, well, why should sucking a thumb and moving around and feeling pain for that be more important than me feeling pain of losing my job or not finishing my education or losing my boyfriend mm. or, or going on the poor line because I can't afford another child? They're, they're counting on sentiment. Yes, exactly. That's right. So at that point, then, whoever has the best emotional subjective argument wins the day well now again as as my friend jeff schaefer said don't think that the court doesn't realize the gravity of what's at issue here i mean nobody denies that that's a human life prior to 15 weeks nobody and the gravity of it is can an individual unilaterally decide to take the life of another human being. That's that's what abortion is. They understand the gravity of it, but nobody's willing to talk about it. It's the elephant in the room, and we're not allowed to talk about it because that will sort of bring in God and realities that we just don't want to think exist. So, David, we've drifted so far from common. This wouldn't even be a question in common law, would it? No, no, no. Now, see, let, let me mention right here. See, common law would have said there are things that are that are essential and things that are in themselves non-essential. OK, so, for example, if you if you look in, I think it's chapter six of my book. When it came to marriage, marriage, what was essential to marriage was you had a man and a woman, and they made a certain kind of promise to one another. Okay? So I wasn't saying, sweetie, I really love you. Could I lease your body for the next 10 years until, you know, things start to change a little bit here? And I'll pay you I'll pay you some money every year for that. No, it wasn't a lease agreement. Uh, I'd like to buy you for the next 10 years. No, it wasn't that. It was a promise of fidelity and commitment and covenantal bond to that person in all regards and in all relationships. That's what made it, the law say, that's a marital contract. You weren't just leasing her or buying her or renting her or she renting you. This this forms a kind of thing we call a marital contract, okay? And so you had to have a man and a woman and you had to have a certain kind of promise. That made a marriage. Now, the judges in England had said, well, we have to figure out what to do with property. And, and that's really why we have marriage licenses to begin with, is to help prove, you know, was I, was I living in sin? Was I just copulating over here? Or was this actually my wife? Is there any legal relationship? 
are our children bastard children's or the heirs? You know, where, where do we go with property? So, so we need to be able to prove that we're married really for property purposes. But, but the common law said, well, you know, it would just be easier for the social order if all the property of the woman was unified in the man. Okay. And so we had this doctrine called coverture that the woman didn't own any property and the man owned all the property. Now that was for convenience sake. And Blackstone, who was the great commentator that the American founders looked at said, this is not, this is one of those things to which the law could be indifferent. It doesn't have the title of the property doesn't have to be this way, but at the moment we think this promotes the social order because the title's all unified in one person. Okay. Later parliament came along and said, we're going to abolish this doctrine of coverture. Women can own property in their own names. Now what happened in Obergefell is Obergefell said that the abolition of coverture, which the common law said was not essential to a marriage. <laughs> in other words, the way that you hold title doesn't make you married. I mean, if you and I went out and owned a joint piece of property, nobody say, oh, I guess y'all must be married. Y'all jointly own this piece of property. We say, no, man, we're not married, right? The Supreme Court said because they abolished coverture in the way title was held, that was a substantial change in the structure of marriage. Mm. And because marriage is, is constantly evolving and changing. See, there is no given being or fixity to anything. Well, now marriage has to change, too. The common law jurist would have looked at them and said, are you stupid? The way we hold title isn't an essential element of marriage. It's a thing to facilitate the carrying out of the marriage. Wow. But we could have put up the title all in the name of the woman, and that wouldn't have changed the nature of the promise or the parties that are there. But the Supreme Court took what the common law would have said. This is a thing to which the law can be indifferent. But so the law could never be indifferent to whether you're male or female. Because the definition of male and female is, is a given. Is a given. It's From a creation. It's a it's a natural law given. Um, yeah. And see Obergefell says it's not. This feels criminal, David. Yes. This feels and criminal. And the church is asleep. I hate to say it. I've been talking about this to national legal organizations, national Christian political organizations, denominational leaders. And and they don't understand what an offense this must be to God. Right. And somehow God is not going to correct the situation. That's the point of my book. God will will bring his wrath down on that nation on that nation whose highest tribunal says this is what it means to be human, and we are now the creators of reality and decide the lawful boundaries of your autonomy and well, inability you, to create the universe. And when a church does not say something, it's in the position like of Herod. Herod got killed because what? He didn't say, hey, no, 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 I'm not God. Remember the story? Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. They were saying, he's a God, he's a God, he's a God. And God killed him. Well, the church is letting them be God. And we're bowing down to them as if they're God and not objective, not crying out, not even looking for solutions. And we think we're going to escape chastisement and discipline and correction. Well, and you know what, David, the other thing is, um, 
it was um oh, who was it we were talking with um uh, last time on Kant. I can't remember. price. Yeah, I was just gonna bring up yeah. Kant. Yeah, <laughs> were you? Yeah. Um, he, you know, we always think that ideas are consequences, but the the um. The I or uh, consequences have uh, ideas have consequences, but the consequences themselves are the ideas. These laws in themselves are the judgment, because yes, the world right. doesn't work that way. No matter how right. you try and fit it together that way, it doesn't work that way. And you can try and work the world that way, and all it will do is curse you, right? Yes, it, right. It, it, and so there's a natural form of God's judgment that when things become inconsistent with themselves. <laughs> right? Um, right. And, and try to be consistent in, in God's world. They fall apart. That's right. They fall That's apart. Right. Societies, cultures, all of it falls apart. And, and one thing that I've learned from reading scripture is that this is a great time because what you're doing, what you're communicating, what we're learning, how we begin to live in God's world with these truths at the forefront. Uh, I, there's this one verse in the Old Testament that sticks out to me all the time when, um, when Egypt was going through judgment. There was light in Goshen. Yeah. Right. Like that's and that's what's so important. Like, you know, why we are yelling this from the rooftops. The fact that God is giving us this knowledge is not just to be yelled, but to practice it and live in God's world consistent with the way that it's made so that light will be in Goshen when judgment hits everywhere else. Right. So that we can right. rebuild the fabrics of society. You know, one of the things that I love about Rush Dooning. And, and Gary North and all my theonomical writers that I read, G Gary DeMar and, and, um, a lot of the legal scholars and those guys, uh, Booth, Boot, um, is that they are helping me understand how to live the way the world is really made so that there can be a light that everybody sees and says, why does it work so well over there with this group of people and this family and the things are beautiful and that something inside of me wants to comport to that? What is that? Yeah, we don't yeah. get there yeah. apart from understanding the foundations that you're talking about. And this is why common law to That's me right. is so important right now. That's right. You know, yeah. There's a beautiful passage consistent with what you just said that I've loved uh, in Deuteronomy, it's chapter um, six, I think, chapter four, verse six. He says, "So do them and keep them." This mm -hmm. is what he's talking about. You go live in this ordered, organic fitting, beautifully harmonious, created order. You go to do that, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding mm. people. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, what we've lost, too, I hate to say, is that Christ is bringing forward even now. He is the first fruits of a new creation that we are called to be the organic mm. representation of for its fulfillment and consummation. But when we sit down, as I mentioned with this legal organization and say, we support the law because babies can suck their thumbs and feel pain. Mm. We have conformed our thinking to the way of the world. And we wonder why we keep losing ground. That's true. Yeah. So in in uh, the metaphysics of, of morals, Kant describes marriage as an agreement between two people for the reciprocal use of one another's sexual organs. <laughs> right. Well, now now let, let's let's go back to this question of the family. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna peel the onion backwards to what Knox was saying a minute ago, or excuse me, the chocolate 
was saying <laughs> a minute ago about about children. So, so before Roe versus Wade, that's 1973, right? Where the woman's autonomy and privacy allows her to decide essentially when she is a mother. Mm. There is no given fixity or reality to motherhood is the state of being pregnant to motherhood is now defined by me as the state in which I decide to keep the baby. Well, David, just to pause there, she's defining almost now whether she's even when she's even a woman. She is in a sense. That's right. Yeah. That's right. She, she's denying a part of her womanness. Yes. And we're wondering why, you know, we, we got confusion in the pool today. Yeah. Well, okay. But, but now here, here's what's beautiful. <clears throat> excuse me. Or excuse me. Grotesquely, sadly beautiful. <laughs> that was 1973. So the woman is now extracted from the given reality of the man and the baby, right? She gets to decide when she's going to be a mother and she can kill the baby. 1976, a Missouri case came in front of the court. This was Danforth versus Planned Parenthood or Planned Parenthood versus Danforth. And, and, the Mississippi, and the Missouri law said that a husband had a right to participate in the abortion decision. So essentially, a husband could have had a veto, right? over the abortion of the woman by saying, wait a minute, that's my baby too. Well, there's a connectedness here. There's an organic reality. I, 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 I'm not going to agree to this. Now, most likely there would never be a disagreement. I mean, I, I did have one friend who was very pro-life and he said, my wife wanted to abort our children. And I said, you know, you can do that, but it will, it will affect our relationship forever. I want to be a father. I want to have these children. But in that case, the Supreme Court looked at a decision from 1972, which was the year before Roe. At that point, 1972, the court already knew Roe was coming. Okay. And here's what they said. The right of privacy, excuse me, the marital couple is not an independent entity. So in other words, marriage is not a real thing with an essential nature that that imposes limits and duties upon the persons. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So so what we're trying to get back to is this whole question of unity and diversity. That's the struggle that we can't answer in in our culture. We don't know how to have unity and diversity. Mm. And so is there something that's true about Talk marriage about that. that limits the individuals or the individuals the only thing that's true about marriage and there's nothing that binds them. Mm. So the court says it's of power. It is not an independent entity with a mind and heart of its own, but an association of two individuals each with a separate intellectual and emotional makeup. If the right of privacy means anything, it is the right of the individual, married or single. Now we're seeing this autonomy really raising its head up, right? This is in 1972. Mm. Uh, from unwanted government intrusion into matters so fundamentally affecting a person as the decision to whether to bear or beget a child. Now that's 1972. And of course, then in 1992, 20 years later, 
we see that we're not just separated individuals with an autonomy, but we define the meaning of the universe and everything else. And in 2015, we now define and express our identity. Mm. So now, Knox, th- let's go seven, back. That 72 decision then, they're saying there is no unity outside of the state. The only thing that provides unity yeah, and the state. is yeah, that's right. Is There's state. no reality to the marital relationship. Yeah. So in 1976, they held unconstitutional the Missouri law that said a husband could participate in an abortion decision. Mm-hmm. Sorry, your wife's pregnant. She wants to kill the baby. You just butt out. You see how that from 72 to 73 led to the the divorce between man and woman is yeah. any organic reality in a marital relationship. Well, of course that was going to come to full flower in Obergefell. And it did, but it went beyond just, we've broken apart the family. We've broken apart what it means to be human as male and female. We've reconstructed the whole person. So, and if we don't make an argument, this is, this is where we come back to common law. If we don't reassert the the right, the jurisdictional authority of states to operate under common law, then the game is over. Mm, And every time I make an argument about the Ninth Amendment and common law, my colleagues and my friends look at me like I'm talking about the, the earth is flat and and the sun rotates around the earth. It just doesn't compute. But but doesn't common law assume layered jurisdictions already? It, it would. It would. It, it so, would. That's so right. How, so how it do would you recover? The family is a jurisdiction, and 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 the state should be very careful about intruding in that jurisdiction. But if if we have already allowed them to to basically declare the jurisdiction null and void. Yeah. How do we, how, how do we move back? How do we undo that? What does it look like even to undo that legally? Well, this, this is where, in, in my view, there, there really is only one way to do it. Absent, you know, some kind of true revolution, you know, and, and, a friend of mine said, I think we're going to have a civil war and a revolution. And I said, it won't matter Mm. as as long, as long as whatever the other new nation is still operates on the premise, right? The human is the defining interpretive principle. We'll we'll wind up in the same place. We'll just get there slower. So that's why I said, you know, whether it's a donkey or an elephant, it doesn't matter. The, The interpretive principle for reality is the, is the subjective human experience. For both parties. So anyway, let me let me let me kind of so, so I, I, I want to finish and then I want to come back. Do we have time? I don't know how oh, long yeah, we've man, been. We you okay. go. We got time. <laughs> okay, okay. I want to come back to what Shannon just said about how do we get back. You mean Jason? But Are I you talking to, about me or Jason? Jason. Jason yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no. I don't know why I keep thinking you were Shannon. That's okay. He's like my brother. Anyway. Yeah, we're hard to sell apart. Yeah. You no, know, I'm just I'm just living my own truth here, right? <laughs> hey, you, you know, just like call me you want. But if you start taking your it's clothes a, off, then we're you a, can't live your own done. truth anymore. Yeah. <laughs> See, Shannon, Shannon can be a girl's name. It can be a boy's right. name. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I'm sure. just gonna call everybody Shannon, and and y'all just have to live within my truth. Well, you gotta ask people how they identify. 
Okay. <laughs> within, within my lawful realm. Okay. Actually, it's your lawful realm because you can say, well, the show's over. Hit the podcast in button. And well, <laughs> I, I was going to let you be surprised when I did it. <laughs> hey, I'm still talking. David, we stopped the show three hours ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> when I don't see you guys, I'm shutting up. But, but now here's, here's, a, here's a, a great point, and it shows how lost we are. I did not see this until about two weeks ago when um, I, I was sent this article. There's a case that the homeschool community loves and champions and holds up. You know, here's, here's our authority for homeschooling. It's called Pierce versus Society of Sisters. It's a 1925 decision. It was a unanimous court. And what had happened in that case, um, and I believe it was the state of Oregon, maybe, had had said, we're getting too many Catholics over here starting their little sectarian schools. So we're going to mandate public education for everybody. And, of course, 1925, the schools had a general overlay of Christian moral values and so on and so forth. So not too many people would complain, and the legislature passed the law. Well, the Society of Sisters uh, and the Catholic Church and several other Catholic organizations challenged that law, said, no, you're violating my parental rights to the nurture, education, training, and raising of my children. Okay. Now, here is what actually happened. I read the case in law school, but hadn't thought about it since then, other than just the, the moniker, you know, this is parental rights case. Well, actually, here's what happened. I'm going to read you from a, a, a law review article. It says, the Pierce Court, even though the arguments were all made by the sisters based on natural law, which the Catholic Church is big in, and, and the organic nature of the family, biological kinship relations give me certain rights. They arise out of the very nature of this organic unity. They said, but the court consciously repudiated that as the basis for parental rights. And when you read it, the language you and I would be looking for isn't there. Now, again, I hadn't read it since 1981 when I was in first year of law school. And then the author says, why did the court do so? Why did they ignore this natural law concept that, of course, you have a certain right? It's inherent in the very nature of procreating. It says an immediate note, Motive, no doubt, was to obtain the concurrence of Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, yeah, who was... had dissented with Meyer and Justice Sutherland in a previous case. Holmes was a prominent and harsh critic of natural law jurisprudence. Holmes would have been reluctant to join an opinion endorsing natural law. Pierce's omission of any reference to nature represented more than a pro hoc vici silence adopted merely to accommodate Holmes' idiosyncratic distaste. Rather, in the years before and after Pierce, the whole court demonstrated an increasing and conspicuous hostility toward natural law theory, and that culminated in Erie Railroad versus Tompkins in 1938, the case I mentioned in chapter four of my book, where the court says the whole 
concept here. It is a false assumption. Those were their words. It is a false assumption that there is any transcendence to the law. You remember that quote in my book? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was so. That if was there is Oliver Wendell Holmes, it was Oliver, Oliver Wendell, Wendell Holmes. Holmes. Well, he was idiosyncratic in his day on the court, but he wasn't idiosyncratic in his day philosophically. That was the way everything was going. That's right. Yeah. That's the effect of Darwin. Everything can be explained naturally. There is no transcendent. There is no God. It's all a matter of material stuff evolving and changing and so on and so forth. So here's what had to happen. And I'll say this again in chapter four of the book. The common law existed. We couldn't get rid of the notion there's common law. I mean, that was the ground by which we asserted our rights against England, that we had certain common law right, rights as England. Right. And, and so common law, common law, common law, common law, it would be to have said, so therefore there is no such thing as common law would have been outrageous even in 1938, because we operated on uh, on the basis of common law all the time, which which we haven't really talked about what common law is, but essentially common law is an understanding of law that's rooted in, in our customs that go back so far that nobody can remember when did men not marry women, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, we didn't have to really ground it in revelation, but the common law lawyer would have said, but what we observe is substantiated by revelation. And, and so the scripture provides an auxiliary guide to what we observe in nature and in our understanding of the works of God. As we look at the works of God, we, we, we deduce there's this relationship called marriage and parent and family. And, and, and yes, scripture oh, yep, confirms that. We got that one right. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so what was going to happen to the common law? You still had to have it. So the court slipped this in. It says the common law exists by the authority of the state. And the only authority is the state. So rather than the common law being the limitations on the state. Providing that's right. The limitations and, being, on the and, state. and recognizing a fixity to our freedom. Yeah. And a fixity to what our human nature is. Which is. No. So, it's just the state. So, David, this is why no one knows what to do with the Ninth Amendment, because right. they have no idea what laws the state doesn't have. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's true. Yeah. Right. And we're so the, this concept of common law is so foreign to us that that we don't know how to understand it. I, I mean, we may have heard the word. Yeah. But. You know, it, it's sort of like if you said in the church, what what is the concept of the infinitude of God relative to presence? They'd be like, I don't know. Right. Have you ever heard the word omnipresent? Oh, yeah, I, I guess I have, you know. Mm -hmm. So so in other words, these are words that that have no real meaning. We, we don't know where to hang our hat on them. We don't know what their content is. And, and so when I start talking about the common law, it's kind of like, I don't, I don't get why that's important. But now here's what's a little sad to me, and, I, and I'm trying to be patient. But the whole concept of the Ninth Amendment is, as I said in the book, there's just one page on there. I mean, I wrote a whole book on the Ninth Amendment, but yeah. in, in the naked court, it's a page and a half. And I said, 
the Ninth Amendment talks about the enumeration of rights shall not be construed to deny others. Well, you can't enumerate what doesn't already exist and that you know exists. I can't enumerate things that I have no knowledge of. So in other words, the Ninth Amendment is a declaration that there is a, a source of rights antecedent to any written law of man. Why Christians would not see the value and the importance of that when that is exactly what we believe in the doctrine of the creation is beyond me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that goes back to the very top of the conversation because doctrines of Trinity and creation are irrelevant. The first two chapters of Genesis are just what you have to read to get the cast of characters to appreciate. Now we're going to get into this salvation. You, you know, this is um, when I go back and I read Calvin's Institutes. Yeah. This really puts everything into a context for me because I'm getting people now. If people in our day, our greatest theologians in modern day evangelicalism right now, I'll let you figure out who they are. I'm not going to argue with you about those, <laughs> even though I have those. But the majority of them couldn't write a Calvin's Institute. Right. They could no. probably write part of the first half and would not be able to finish the second half. Where you got Calvin, who's the fourth ex- part about government. They would say that's not even relevant. That's secular. That's exactly right. They wouldn't have any, which bothers me because I'm wondering what kind of theology do they have in the beginning <laughs> that doesn't apply to the, the the legal aspect of it. But that was written in total. Calvin is espousing the implications of the realities of the first half and the second half. That's right. And so right. we've completely left that second half we couldn't even i mean right now this is why i think the church is having such a problem with critical race theory and racial issues is that they don't have any the legal theological categories or see we were i think we were talking about this that the reason most people can only tolerate 30 to 45 minute sermons on justification is because they can't see justification in every part of reality right they they, they can only see it in uh, soteriology yeah. But they can't see it yeah. in in God's creation, the beauty of it, and and um, uh, like you were talking about the um, unity and diversity. Right, they, right. they can't see it in the world. They only see it in a, in a salvific type of way, instead of the full legal way and, and and the the way that it should apply across the board to everything in life. And so they can only this small sentence. So everybody's bored because you can only preach on that for so much, right? We get it. We really do get it, but you can't, they can't extrapolate it past that. So, so David, help me with this. Cause this, I wrote down a few things. Um, okay. I think we did a show last time, last week on common law and Jason took us through kind of, you know, Alfred the grade and the, the creation of common law and how he did that with the three. You had Roman law, you had, Deuteronomic law and you had um what was the third one the civic law civic. of the three kingdoms that he was now the king of yeah and then and just kind of started us there um and then how that morphed and developed over time into what we get in common law so we kind of have a concept of of how that comes into being but one of the things that i i'm understanding common law the way that the right way and then understanding the word liberty i think is is as a problem because 
I think we can understand common law. And then when we think about liberty, we have a because mo- listening to you talk about it earlier, we have a modern day understanding of what liberty means. And I think there's maybe two different definitions. One of them is what is meant in what we talk about in law, legal terms. And then what is liberty ultimately, you know, biblically? What What is a biblically defined form of liberty? And then what do we mean about it in the civil realities? Yeah. Well, um, today in law, for example, we think of liberty as as autonomy, essentially. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what you hear in those court opinions, right? And and autonomy is is just the the Greek word for self law. So I'm a law unto myself. Okay. Um, there are only three kinds of, of understandings of reality relative to law, theonomy, God law, heteronomy, some external hierarchical thing imposed on. So the Supreme Court, we, we live in a heteronomous legal system now. The Supreme Court decides what the lawful realms are. And we can play within those, but, but they're God. And then the other one is autonomous, where everybody gets to be their own God. Now, nobody likes theonomy today. We, we rebel against heteronomy, but we can't live within autonomy because then what happens when my autonomy runs into your autonomy runs into everybody else's autonomy. But, but the view of liberty today is escape from law. Law is the condition of liberty. Now, how do we understand that? And, um, uh, again, I'll repair to my good friend, Jeff Schaefer. I think he was reading from something the other day, but it was so beautiful. And he talks about, we've watched a violinist or a musician, any kind of musician who's a virtuoso, just really, really good, whether it's, you know, Roy Acuff or, or uh, you know, uh, Istok Perlman. RZA. And, uh, yeah, and, and vocalist, you know. And, and, and their, their virtuosity, their excellence, their, the beauty of what they do is, is made beautiful because they know how to live within the confines of, of music and the instruments they play. Mm. There's, there's certain sounds that wooden things will make that metal things will not make. Longer strings will make that shorter strings will not make. Of lung capacity. And, and different tinches and timbers of voices, and they learn how to operate within that. And, and, and where we have problems is the person who, who hasn't learned th- those laws, so to speak, and plays badly because they've not mastered and brought themselves fully under those laws and limitations by which beauty can come forth. And that's what God is saying. I think there's even Uh, one more step too, as you get sort of a, like Schopenhauer who created his own musical rules and then (laughs) said, here, I'm going to make you something beautiful. And everybody listens to it and they're like, what the heck is this? And he's like, well, if you, I made up new music rules. And so instead of inheriting from the past, the years of wisdom of Mm. musical rules, common law, Right. Yeah. He, he made up his own musical rules and said, here's the new system. And it was a whole mathematical system 
and then but nobody wants to listen to it because it's it's terrible no. it's inhuman um, and, and you ha- yeah. can't, and you can't have a choir doing it yeah. either because yeah. autonomy bumps but, into but, each but other you know, right. but you know what he was still stuck with seven notes yeah, no he took all 12 right he he that was part of his system well, I mean, the it's 12 and flats, but but yeah. see he he was still within a limit Right. He, the, I mean, he's, artists only have three colors. Nobody said I've created the fourth primary color. Right. Well, that and the, so the, the, his attempts all failed, but he he wasn't trying to. Yeah. He wasn't just bad at what he did. He was great <laughs> at a false system. Right. He was great yeah. at at the rules yeah. that he made up that didn't match up with reality. And um, I mean. And, sure. and, and you, get, you can still see that today on American Idol if you watch some of the contestants. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting. I, w- I was just talking with somebody recently, um, a young mm-hmm. music student, and they were saying, you know, yeah, we I'm studying music and all this, and he says, you know, and we're we're learning how to write in different systems, and and um, he said, and one of the things we're trying to learn is that we're not confined to the 16 beat or the 12 beat turnaround that all the music works in. Right. And, and I, I said, well, you, you know where that comes from. And he's like, well, no, I thought it was just, it's just made up. It's like, no, it's because it music used to be so people could dance. And so you had a 16 beat turnaround or you had a 12 beat turnaround so that there were dances that people, so that people could enter in and actually enjoy right. your music. And that was a, it was of use to people so they could dance together so that then they could connect with one another so that then they could get married and have babies and, you know, all the things, right? Baby yeah. making music has 16 beat turnarounds for a reason. Um, so, you know, you know, the, and he went there. Christian, Christians don't write baby makers anymore. I wish we should, wish we did, but, but you have, you, there's 16 beat turnarounds, 12 beat turnarounds are there for, so that you're serving people in a, yeah. in a particular way. There's a common understanding. There's a common culture that we share that says, "Here's you. you I, I'm a musician. I provide music for you to dance to. You, somebody else made up the dance, but they know that there's going to be 16 beats to the turnaround or 12 beats to the turnaround. Or if you play Latin music, you know that you, you've got the clave that you know that that is going to guide the dance steps of the person leading it, so that they can then guide the woman." In the dance, right? So you, mm. all of that has – it's a common culture that we pass down from generation to generation that in the early 20th century, we tried to get rid of all of it, right? We tried to separate ourselves. So it wasn't just law. We were separating ourselves from the musical heritage, from the dance heritage. I mean, well, it had a domino effect. It I really mean, did. When you get rid – when you start becoming autonomous to law, then you have to recreate a whole new world to follow right. this new pattern. Right. That doesn't go with that's the right. flow of the world, right? Right, that's right. And that and that's where we're coming. And and actually, you know, I heard something very interesting the other day. Somebody was quoting a, a, another paper, but the command about honoring your father and your mother it was an interesting take. I need to think about a, a bit about more about it a bit more. But part of um, you know what we see in scripture is the communication of, tr- of, of beliefs and traditions and understandings through the family. And mm-hmm. it is its own jurisdictional sort of authority. So, Knox, going back to what you were saying with the, the concepts of 
of Obergefell and the ones that led to it, there is no such thing really as a family anymore, except by creation of the state. And it gives meaning and approves certain kinds of social pairings. But, but we begin to lose the ability to pass heritage, tradition, things down, because that's the way God does it. Now, I'm going to give you another terrible, frightening example. But the legal organization I referred to the other day, a moment ago, that said, we support the Mississippi law because we know babies can suck thumbs and so on and so forth. I've tried to bring about this understanding of the importance of the Ninth Amendment and returning, at least in the states, to common law, because the Supreme Court has left that up to us, the common law. We can decide what our common law is. And if we want to have a statist common law, I guess we can do that. And what I'm trying to argue in Tennessee is, no, we don't have a statist common law. According to our marriage statute and constitution, marriage is a historical institution in legal contract, solemnizing the relationship between one man and one woman. It's, rated, it's rooted in a historical understanding of reality, and I'm trying to return that to Tennessee. I'm not having much luck, and people don't want to take time to listen to it and think through it, you know, and, and, and our current processes today don't lend themselves to thinking deeply or long. That's why I appreciated your show and just glad to be on it. I mean, we may have three people watch it, but those three people <laughs> will learn something that they wouldn't learn in 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm, I'm trying to restore that. And so I, I said... If we don't uproot Obergefell and this understanding of what it means to be human that is now in our law, then parental rights will have to go away as you and I would understand them. If, if the marital relationship now exists as a matter of convention and a permitting process, and there is no reality to it outside that permitting process, then that will also have to be true of the parent-child relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have to be true because Susie and Sally, I, I just saw the other day, Candace Parker, big celebrity at UT, basketball yep. player, she and her wife uh, just had a, had a baby. Well, no, they didn't. They, they somewhere had a man involved in that process. So, how will two women ever have the same kind of relationship to their child as me and my wife? Right. They cannot. So how are you going to make those two equal? Because here I am, natural kinship biological tiles, and they're down here. Okay, can you see my hand? Mm -hmm. The only way for these to ever be equal is to move me down here. That's right. Because I can never move both of them up here. I said, so so we have to do this. His answer was no. The specific answer was, I will give gays same-sex marriage in order to preserve parental rights. And the concepts of law that, that have protected parental rights. Now, I would say... Okay, I get that. If, in fact, the created order that God established allows you to break it into bits and pieces and you can lose this piece and not lose this piece, that's fine. But if your theology doesn't 
extend to a creation as an organic whole where all the pieces have to fit together. If, you, if you've lost your doctrine of creation and you've skipped just to Genesis 3.15, okay, that's fine. But the case that they want to rely on is Pierce versus Society of Sisters. I know that. That's the big case. Mm. And I just explained to you that it was not rooted in what he thinks it ought to be rooted in, but was rooted in care and custody. That's what the Supreme Court said. It ignored the question of why do people have care and custody or who should have care and custody, but you have rights because you have care and custody. That was what was able to get Oliver Wendell Holmes, who didn't believe in any God-given realities and fictiveness and organic holes. That's what got him and, and Justice Sutherland to join the opinion. 1938, they abolished the whole concept. And we've been free-floating ever since then. This lawyer who leads this organization is living in an unreal world. Mm. And he's living in an unreal jurisprudence that thinks I'm going to maintain some right independent of the state, and that cannot exist in the world in which we're now operating. It cannot exist. I wonder how... It's just crazy thoughts to me. <laughs> it is. And I, and I mean, we, we have, as Christians, we would say we have care and custody because we have rights not we have rights because we have care and custody right right um, that's right it's backwards it, but i wonder with you know when you mentioned the there's the a um a marriage between two women and then a marriage between a man and a woman that that uh, legally one has to be brought down to the other because you can't you can't yeah. Bring the other one up. I wonder though how how many Christian marriages are already functioning basically the way gay marriages function. That they've lost the enchanted understanding of marriage mm. as as part of a, an entire uh, an entire metaphysical System cosmological whole. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so yeah. th so that we are we have already we've already dropped ourselves down to Kant's definition of two people in an agreement to share one another's sexual organs um, and have lost the understanding that marriage is actually a window through which we see something um, cosmological. This is, Dante. this is what More we talked about. Yeah. This is what we talked about with Dante when Dante realizes and comes to that, that moment where he sees a woman and yeah. he's like, Oh my goodness, what do I have to do to get that? Right. Right. And then and understands it, that actually ver God, it's God calling him up to virtues. Right. Um, yeah. In order to, yeah, yeah that, that right there is an example of the beauty of what it looks like to have a relationship with me in some way, right? right. A, a small taste of it. And so he becomes <laughs> virtuous to be able to have that. Yeah. What do I have to yeah. do? What do I have yeah. to do? When I think there's, yeah. and I think we have, we, we talk about marriage in a way very often that you could replace. You could, you know, in the church, sure. you know, in a sure. way that could be replaced, right? We don't have a theology of marriage that is from the, that digs into those first two chapters of Genesis. No. We don't have a theology of marriage that 
comes out of the end of the book of Revelation, right? We don't have a theology of marriage that that comes out of that anyway. So um, in a lot of ways, God is just giving us what we've been doing anyway. And, you know, yeah, that's right. You know, that's that quote, though, you know, now that you're mentioning the 1972 quote, that's Kant. I had never thought about it like that. You're just two people who basically are sharing expenses and bodies, but right. there's no reality to this thing. That's like what they, what does Doug talk about with, uh, um, we're just two cans of soda pop. Oh yeah. Just fizzing, Sh- shaking just, up, and, shaking up and, one pointed, yeah, and just fizzing, <laughs> you know? Okay. David, I'm going to try this again because we get here and there's so much stuff that we have to glean that we, we get pieces of it and then we keep going. So if, I think people have to listen to like three or four times to get it. And it might be 10 people, but I, I would 10 people who want to change the world. We'll change the world, baby. Um, that's right. I, I, man, 12 is a good number. 12 is a good 12, number. 12, 12, 12 is good. Yeah. 12 is good. Um, I want to, so we have our, Liberty West Coast tour that we're going to be doing. And so this is partially is a selfish thing for me to ask you about Liberty because I want to take this on this tour and I really want to pound this in there. What is Liberty? Because I think we have the Gnostic um, autonomous understanding of Liberty too. Like I said earlier, we're fighting critical race theory with critical theory. Just as long as we have the power over it, we're fine, but that's not, we don't fight autonomy with autonomy, right? That's yeah. not how we want to fight. We're not going to win like that. So yeah. try again and, and explain for me a real clear definition of liberty that I can take on the road with me and really preach on that. Because I think I'm not so much concerned about the the left right now and their understanding of liberty or even people who are inside of positions of power because the way that God works, if my people – who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land. So I'm really concerned about the people of God being able to be rooted in his word and his understandings of liberty so that when we begin to live that way, it has a sonic boom effect to everything else. So really break down liberty for me so that we can have this rooted in how we live and act and that we're not just bouncing around acting autonomously ourselves. Well, um, I'm going to, I'm going to just talk out loud here because the way you phrase the question is, is a little different from what, how I'm used to it being asked. Um, because we often t- talk in terms of civil liberty, you know, which is Blackstone described it as that residuum of natural liberty that exists in society. So, if if I was truly the autonomous man living, you know, on an island all by myself, there would be you and I would say an abundance of natural liberty. Now, uh, we will still be stuck with the need for shelter and food and hydration. There sure. are uh, there's because we're created beings, but but we would have liberty to go any part of the island we want, climb any tree we want, climb any rock we want, swim anytime we want. We'd have all that. But now all of a sudden you stick you know, a thousand people on that island, well, that changes that dynamic. And and that's that's where civil liberty would be understood as that residuum of natural liberty, which we want to preserve to the greatest extent possible uh, within the confines of a thousand people living on the island now. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely. That's how I normally think of it, is that I, I can't just climb any tree anytime I want to because 
so-and-so's climbing the tree. And we may have to have a rule about signing up and getting in line to climb the tree, you know, and you ought not break the line then once you're in the line. Okay. And so we start developing these rules and I can still climb a tree, but my liberties circumscribed my natural liberty. There's a residuum of it. that's left. Okay. This is because but of you've asked, loving your ahead. neighbor. This is where we get loving your neighbor. How do I live in relationship to my labor neighbor that is a, in a loving ways in a civil environment? That, that's right. That, so, so there is that concept, but I'd like to suggest to you, if, you know, when you're talking about preaching it and talking to Christians and and I, I'll appreciate your feedback on this because I'm struggling because, again, I'm out of the mainstream. But, uh, you know, I'm out of the mainstream talking about the Ninth Amendment and created order and common law. But there's a, a lot of talk today about religious liberty, right? Typically, that is understood as my my ability under the law in civil society to um, to not bake a cake for a gay wedding or not be forced to sit through some diversity training through my employer. Mm. I mean, there are all sorts of ways that we look at this concept of religious liberty. But I would like to suggest that the original concept of religious liberty that was that began to be expounded by um oh golly 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 what was his name he wrote the golden chain and and he taught at oxford anyway his name will come to my mind at some point but the concept really in going back to hebrews and some of what paul wrote was liberty of conscience not liberty of conduct so, for example, you had Paul and Silas in prison, and they're singing and praising and thanking God. They had no physical or civil liberty, but but they had a great deal of liberty in 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 terms of their conscience before God. Now we've we've lost that concept, and and we've equated religious liberty with conduct or behavior. And so here's sort of my question. I'm just throwing this out here. Is that because Christianity itself has become moralistic and synergistic that I have to do certain things in order to be Christian? In other Mm. words, my liberty is not a liberty freed from the wrath of God where my conscience has been purified, as it talks about in Hebrews. And I can stand before God saying, I still do a lot of really terrible things, but a righteousness has been imputed to me and a Holy Spirit has been given to me to bring me back to that glorious state and that that place of righteousness that was intended for me. And it is apart from the law. So, you know, I'm not saying I should bake the cake. But what I don't want to have to do is to have to pay a fine or go to prison for it. Well, the law, in a sense, hasn't bound my conscience. It's bound my conduct. My conscience is still free to say, I can't before God make this cake or arrange these flowers. 
And so John Bunyan writes Pilgrim Progress where? In prison. We've lost, I think, the first notion of what really Christian liberty is. And, and so what would happen, what would be the witness to the world if we said, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I see what the law says. It says that if I don't make this flower arrangement or bake this cake or sit through this diversity training, I'll be fined or I'll lose my job. Um, and that's okay. Because coming to know God, the power of God, the power of his resurrection Coming to have a clean conscience before God is more valuable to me, and the prospects of the eternal glory of God is worth any light momentary affliction. And in fact, what you're doing is refining me for what I hope to have later. So go ahead. What would happen if the world said, what do we do to these people now? And we say, I don't know. There's really nothing you can do to me because God works all things together for me. And all of these things, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, are for your good, for your benefit. So go ahead. You know, David God's is using the wicked for my salvation. Thank you. It, it sounds like that just from that, the way you talked about that, God's doing that whether we like it or not. Right. Right. Like that's he's, what it sounds like is happening. Yeah, he's refining his people with that exact question. Yeah. yeah. That, that's exactly what. And yeah, you know, I think you're right because watching what happened in 2020 to kind of change it, all of a sudden it took the civil magistrate to press in on whether or not a church could or could not have service, if when they could or could not sing, um, if they could or could not take communion before they, the church, at least some of the ones who have been super dispensational and antinomian as it relates to the civil magistrate, all of a sudden they became very, yeah. very concerned about what that liberty really looked like, like you were just talking right. about. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it was interesting hearing um, someone who is not theonomic in in practice or not theonomic by name become very, you know, uh, ex uh, grammatical historical yeah. theonomic in practice. You <laughs> yeah. know, and because yeah. I think they tied together everything you just said. Listen to John MacArthur do that as he talked about whose responsibility. The church is its own government, answers to God, and because we have that liberty, we get to flow and function in this world. It's interesting you bring it up that way. That's still, that still is, go ahead. So, well, I was going to say, as, as best I know, for example, though, John MacArthur is a person who has, has previously had little discussion about law or politics That's right. or political matters. And so you ought to say, with all due respect to him, who I appreciate, would you just shut up and sit down? Mm. You have capitulated to totalitarian government, and now you don't like it. But why weren't you doing anything about it since since 1938? <laughs> David, you know what, though? This is where you, you right now are upset, and I get it. I get it. Because you're right. This is, I feel the same way on, on some of the racial issues. All of a sudden he jumps in this, but yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help bring them in. I'm trying to say, <laughs> yeah. good, good, good job, guys. You know, we've been here in the battle for a long yeah. time and y'all start shooting like you did something. But hey, I'm glad you're shooting at the right direction this time, you know? <laughs> so I've, I, because yeah, and, and, I don't know I any it. other That's way. And I agree with you. But here's, I don't know any other way to show them because I've had fights with some of these guys guys directly on this issue 
And these guys are much smarter than me in, in a lot of in a lot of ways. But when it comes to this topic, when I feel like I can win a conversation with you, I'm like, uh oh, this is a problem. I shouldn't be able to hold my ground on this conversation. <laughs> and the fact that I am means that there is a massive gap here. And I have not been able to convince them how important the understanding and being rooted in Deuteronomic law is until this happened. And now all of a sudden I see repentance coming. I see uh, an engagement coming. They don't, they haven't learned how to pursue yet, but they have learned how to at least where to plant their feet at and what to hold on to. So it's encouraging. It's encouraging because what it tells me is they need more opposition. They don't need more education. Right. There isn't there isn't any more debates that they need. What they need is a heavy hand of of a push against them before they start responding. And they were going to kick into gauge where they're like, they're going to be more theonomous than I am. Right. (laughs) And all all I would say is it's not really a they need it, though. It's a we need it. We need. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's right. I mean, what I'm talking about is stuff I didn't know four years ago. I wasn't taught in law school. So really, the response to John MacArthur is, yay, that's great. Now, take what you are saying in this context and expand it to all the rest. Right. Don't continue to isolate the church as if we exist outside of God's created reality. It was sort of like Luther said, God is sovereign over our salvation. And there's a bondage of the will and all of that. But but he said to the princes of Germany, now, I don't have any problem with with the government now. Okay, this this is just a this is an inter squad dispute with the church. Calvin came along and said, yeah, Luther is exactly right. But that needs to expanded to everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that it became not just soteriological, but cosmological. And so what 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 the real response is great MacArthur, I'm glad you have now seen in this area, the government has asserted a jurisdiction it cannot have, that makes it godless, that makes it damnable. But I hate to tell you, the roots of it go much deeper, deeper yeah. further back, and spread to all things. That's Speak right. to all of it now. Yeah. But you know, this is where I don't think, limit yourself. This is where Jason is yeah. right. He, we, we have to because part of what. I think we end up doing is taking the we out of it. Yeah. Um, and so it's us and them. And this is where I've learned as being a theonomous the is I'm trying to find theonomy in everybody now. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Because I know it's there because I know they're Christians and I know that they study their Bibles and I know they believe God's word. And this is where I think, it, and, and I could be ignorant in this or just super uh, optimistic about it, but I think in America right now, the church is in the rhetoric stage. So you got, you got grammar, you got uh, logic and then you have rhetoric right? in the classical forms of education. And what happens with the rhetoric stage is you have opposition come against you and then you learn how to use the grammar, the learning part and the logic in a way that's winsome to be able to fight. Right. That's right. And I think right now we are coming to a form of maturity in, in the churches, the, the solid biblical churches that are taking a stand that when they talk. We sound the same. <laughs> the reason we sound the same is because something has opposed us and the things that we believe are now being extrapolated to the enemy. Right. And that's that's rhetoric. That's a form of rhetoric. And it's like, man, I found myself agree with them 100 percent 
in this because of the fact that they have opposition. Before that, if you don't have opposition, you don't really get a chance to use that logic and grammar very well. And you don't develop a form of rhetoric. You can just philosophize all you want to in your head until it comes practical. But but when bullets start flying, that training kicks in. And that's what's been encouraging about about this and them is that uh, they have become us <laughs> as it starts the the bullets start to fly because I think that they're getting we're, we're getting to that stage now where the church is maturing into a rhetoric form. So if I could summarize what I think you said about liberty, mm-hmm. liberty ultimately is a standing that a person has before God that ties their allegiance to his standard because of his grace that they live in a justified manner in relationship to the world. That's right. Is that, is that fair to say? Okay. Yeah. Get get a, get a stenographer and type that up. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's a great, a a great. You said it. I'm just trying to um, summarize it. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I can be wrong. Obviously, you know, the scripture says you're going to be an aroma of Christ. And to some people, it'll be from death to death and from others to, to life. But I think what what has happened is that the church or Christianity has become so moralistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That mm-hmm. that we've we've not really asserted anything other than our moral values mm. and and so you're you may remember i don't have a copy of my book i've given them all away but um i said if i did not believe in the triune creator god i would never again assert that any proposition is is really true that mm. it's just my preference right and 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 so i i have um a friend, a lesbian, who finds me very intriguing. Um, she she uh, she finds me maddening in a way, but but <laughs> has never been really mad at. Me. Yeah, I think at times disappointed that I haven't come along, you know, to see her, her view of things. But the other day, I said something about the Bible, and and she said, "Well, other people interpret the Bible this way, and others interpret it this way. Everybody has their own interpretation." And, so who who knows who's right? And I said, what what you really conceded is that we can't know who's right, and we can't know what's true, and that means you can't either. And I said, I've loved our time together, and I said you've attacked my epistemology, but I, I said I found over the last three years you've never offered your own. Mm. Now what's funny in my other book I wrote called The Politics of Loving God. This is this is a true story. When I decided to run for the legislature in 1994, the first thing I ever did was run for the state senate. So I never worked my way up, but I ran against this 26-year incumbent who was a Republican. And at that point, something came out about gay support groups in the public schools in my district. And so I just made some comment about I think it's great to have support groups as long as they're supporting them to understand the reality of given realities of male and female and so on and so forth. So I kind of twisted it around a little bit. Well, in I, I got this memo from one of my law partners. I, I knew he was liberal, but whoa, this was scathing. And I, I quote chunks from his memo about 
So where did you get the wisdom and how did you know and what made you so smart to, you know, all these other things? And how come it is that many gays have created great art and great music and so on and so forth? And, and so I wrote him a memo back and I said, I get it. I said, but if you'll tell me the basis for your epistemology and how you know that what you know is true, then we can have a conversation. I never got a response from him. Now I have Just to see him. The gays you, can suck their thumbs, so they're human. <laughs> yeah. So, so well, I didn't know it, but he had a brother who was gay and had died of AIDS, and so it was mm, a painful thing yeah. for him. So he had to, he had to say, "My brother's okay, and everything's okay." So I have to. But but anyway, I saw, I saw him in the break room in my law office uh, not too long after that. And he started to wag his finger at me over something else I'd said in the newspaper. And I'd just been elected for like three months. And I said, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, I will talk with you as soon as you tell me the basis of your epistemology. And he looked at me and said, I knew you'd bring that up. And he stormed off and walked off. Now, about three years later, I'm going back to visit my friends at the law office. And it could have been five years later. And I'm in the little break room. We're getting a cup of coffee, talking to some of my friends. And then he walks again. And he starts to wag his finger at me about something else. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, I'm still waiting from your memo. He said, I, and I didn't even finish it. He said, I knew you'd bring that up. And he turned around and walked off. <laughs> you see, he doesn't know how he knows what he knows is right. true. He just knows he doesn't like what I believe is true. In which case, I'm happy to say, well, that's fine. I have a preference and you have a preference. And so we now decide those things based upon either votes, money, or guns. I can't think of any other alternatives. And in our country, we decide it by votes. And if there are more of me than you, I'm right and you're wrong by definition. Now, if you don't want to accept those terms of debate, then that's fine. We can have a deeper debate, but you're going to have to explain to me your epistemology. How do you know what you know is true? I've given you mine. I'm waiting to hear yours. Mm. Were you going to say something, Jason? Because, um, no. Okay. You said something like you were going <laughs> to jump in. David, here, here's what I want to do. I got 10 minutes and then I got to run. But, yeah, okay. But, sure. man, we've gone for almost, we've gone for two hours. And I love it. I love okay. every bit of it. This has been very helpful. And I hope, uh, I want you to, Give people a couple of resources that they can grab. We've had you on Cross Politic to talk about your book on the Ninth Amendment. That's absolutely essential to this conversation. The Naked Court, that's another one. Um, and it's then, short. It's, it's short. It is. Days. It is. But it's it's packed though. It is power packed. Yeah. Um, and then just real quickly, and like I'll give you the floor for ten minutes. I want to figure out. I want to help people. Learn to start operating with this understanding of natural law, because until they can internalize this, this is not politics comes from the people. It is outflowing of the culture, right, of of, of right. what's happening in the home, what's happening in the church. It, and then politics comes out of those, too. We don't try and reverse engineer this. We don't get them to do it and then we get it. We have to get it. And then it comes from us. Help us be able to take this understanding of common law internalize it and start living in such a way that it bleeds through our fingertips and out into the culture and our laws. Well, in, in some ways, all we're talking about is what we really already know. I mean, I hate, hate to say it. Um, 
you know, there's the, uh, I think Jay Bujashevsky wrote a book by the things we titled things we can't not know. Now we would say in our theology that, well, because we're sinful, we will suppress the truth. So, so the natural man may agree with me to a point, but then he'll say, wait a minute, this point's leading me too close to this concept of God. And, and this is where I get off the rails, not going there. And, and some people will see where that goes sooner than others. So I don't really talk about my theology in the legislation on marriage, for instance, that I filed or in the legislation I filed about abortion or on the legis the rule of law life act, uh, which is in the back of my book, restoring the constitution. I've not talked about it in terms of the state's uh, authority to protect me from COVID jabs. What I have done is root it in the common law. One, because it's a term people have, have heard before. Mm -hmm. And then, then I try to explain it. We all know that we have certain rights that, that don't come from the government. We re, we repel against the notion. That's what's going on with these parents. Wait a minute, I have rights here relative to my children that don't come from the government. And it's furious, furiating to them to have somebody say, well, no, they're ours now. When you bring them in here, they're ours. We can, we can separate the, the areas of care and custody. Remember that discussion we've had. So you get certain cares in custody, but the government gets other care in custody. And what the, what the court said in that case, let me just mention this, is that children are not mere creatures of the state. And, and we like that. But the fact that they said you're not mere creatures means to some extent we are. Okay. So, so I think what we have to do is, is pick up on what people intuitively know and feel yeah. and press them. You know, that's what Paul was doing. He's saying, you have this unknown God here, but I, I want to give you, I, I want to give you something else. So some of you Epicureans have concluded there really is no God and we live for, for pleasure based upon what gives the most pleasure with the least pain. Some of you are stoic who just believe that, that there's this God that moves through, you know, almost Hegelian, I guess you could say, is marching through time and so on and so forth. But I'm here to tell you, despite what you have thought about Anaximander and, and Heraclitus and and all of these other people who were trying to figure out what was the true essence of thing and how do we have unity and diversity, we actually live and move and have our being in God. And so we, we need, as you said at the top of the show, creation is the first revelation of God. And, and we, we, we need to, I think, order our, our communications in, in concepts and terms that, that people can grasp. And then we need to press them and further explicate, mm. press them and explain. So, for example, we could say, I get that you don't like this idea of creation ex nihilo. And you think it's a myth, but I'm not sure how from matter we make sense of the menu. Explain me the menu in terms of pure chemicals and matter. How does it communicate anything? How did matter communicate something? I, I don't think your worldview answers the questions. Mine, at least, is not contradictory. It may be mysterious that there's a God who is one in essence and three in persons, and there's an only begotten son. But, but, but when you really stop and think about those things, there's nothing contradictory in it. But in yours, there is. 
And, and we need to say, you know, actually, these views of reality that you're expressing today have come and gone over centuries. They flourish for a time. And then the roots under them rot and they wither and they go away. But then they come back and we think we've invented something new and there's just not. You know, and, and, and that's what I'm trying to do with common laws to say there's something that most lawyers have heard of, most legislators have heard of, maybe not Joe Citizen in the pew, but, but, but I, can, I can use that term and then I can help explain that term. I can say to them, did you know in the Constitution there are enumerated rights? Just read the words there. And then I can just challenge them to think, what does it what does it mean to say that rights are enumerated? Are they being created by that document or simply stating what already exists? Yeah, they're stating what already exists. Great. That's what I believe, too. See, parent in Virginia, that's what you believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That there are rights that already exist that don't come from the government. But as long as you only argue from a certain perspective, you're arguing into their hands and they're going to win every time. And that's what we do. The Supreme court says, I don't want to hear about person. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear about person. I don't want to hear about person. No, 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 no. I can't hear you. So what do we do? We say, okay, well, it can suck its thumb and move around and feel pain. And we wonder why we've been in the wilderness for 48 years. <laughs> now the Supreme court, I think will reverse. Uh, Roe and, and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, but only because they're going to say, well, there's really nothing that's true in the Constitution about anything, and we're just going to return it to the states. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why my friend wants to give up gay marriage in order to protect parental rights, because some states may not protect parental rights. They may have a screwed up version of law. They may have a positivistic view of law. Their common law may be the only authority of the state. So California won't respect parents, but Tennessee might. So he wants to keep a legal theory that created a nationwide parental rights, not realizing that legal theory was not grounded in natural law and truth, but just the mere fact that you have care and custody. And as was said, we believe we have care and custody because we have rights, not that we have rights because we have care and custody. So that lawyer's whole fundamental premise is wrong and he's leading not only that national organization, but all the groups that I work with down that same primrose path to destruction. And I don't say that in a mean way. No. I'm just saying we have to wake up and we, but, but that's what we have to do is start talking about those things. I think, um, you know, and that's exactly what Paul did on Mars Hill. See, I, I was taught to believe um, Knox that, that the story on Mars Hill was simply that Paul reasoned. And he did reason with them, but he did not reason from abstract right. principles floating in midair. Right. And that's where that's where American law is. Well, that's just where, you know, it, it, it's there because we and, and I guess to go back to a more even simplistic form of it. You this is something that Jason always talks about. You got to get the story right. You know, yep, this is like a right. T-shirt. And if you start, or not a t-shirt, but a, a dress shirt, if you start buttoning the dress shirt at the bottom the wrong way, when you get up to the top, you're going to be kitty wampus, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Collar's going to be over here and the other collar's going to be down here and you're going to be. And so if you don't get the foundation of this thing right, which is back in Genesis, you have to have an anchored understanding of who God is, who man is, and what is that covenant? Because everything we've been talking about is covenant. 
What is the agreement between God and man? Right. How does that look? And then how does that look within relationship with each other? And if you don't have a good foundation and story of of what's going on and what God is doing with men and in developing the world, then you can't have this conversation on much. No matter how much common law or law you understand, you got to have an anchored root in Genesis and telling and understanding that story so that you live it in such a way that this is something I've learned too, that as I begin to comport with reality, the way that God has made the world, treat my wife, the way that God has made her treat my kids, the way that God has made them and raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. All of a sudden, some things can just happen and I can just have a natural understanding of how this is supposed to go or not go because I'm living yeah. in, I'm living consistent with the way that God made the world that I know that the God's world doesn't even function like, like what are you, what are you talking about? It doesn't even function like that. But that's, and, and, and it's, in one sense, it's like not that hard, not that complicated when you understand the story. And so I think being rooted there, and then when you get to see like, oh wow, and the story has been going on years before I ever got here. And other guys have been working through this in relationship, like with common law. Then now you say, okay, I have a way to communicate to my peers the realities that they believe are true too, that they might be rejecting. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and so, and, and you know, it, it does take, I think, from my own experience, some some patience. Um, I, can I have I got time to give you one example? The other day, yeah, you got five minutes. Uh, okay, <laughs> this this will be a quick example. Go for it. So in in Second Corinthians chapter three, it says that uh, you know Paul's going to Troas and the doors opened, but he's so distraught about Corinthians, he leaves and goes to Macedonia, and and he says, but he's always leading us in triumph in Christ or in his triumph. We're we're following in his triumphal procession and train, and and so. Six years ago, when the Obergefell decision came out in Tennessee, there was outrage, and and that was that was good. And yeah. so the first response of most Christians and Christians in the, polit- in the in the legislature was, "We need to reenact our marriage law, and we need to put some <laughs> whereas clauses in it that says marriage is a reality, and so on and so forth." But we're going to reenact our marriage law. Well, I didn't support that. Now I didn't support it for for correct constitutional reasons that because our law had never been in front of any federal court, it had never, its enforcement had never been enjoined. It was still the law and the legislature hadn't changed it. And yet they wanted to reenact it as if the Supreme court had repealed it. Well, the Supreme court can't repeal a law. They're not the lawmaking body. And they hadn't even said nobody could enforce our law. And I, and I looked at one of the legislators and I said, all you need to do is start impeaching the governor for not upholding the law. You don't need a new law. Mm. Well, they, that went over their head, okay, because they don't understand separation of powers and the limits of the judiciary and all of that. But, man, I look like a heathen mm. because I was not supporting reenacting our law. Talk about this. And, and I had people coming from other states down here because Tennessee was possibly the place where it looked like it was being whipped up and frenzied. I had I had people returning to their pastors and their podcast in Ohio, damning me. I wasn't Christian and I was blah, 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 blah. Of course, they didn't know anything about the law, but that's okay. And, and it was painful to be publicly castigated by the people that I considered myself part of. Yeah. So I'm now proposing a bill. I, I woke up 
eventually and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. The fact that you can't get married without the government giving you permission is itself an offense. Obergefell notwithstanding, who cares? If Obergefell had never happened, we should change our law because government does not own what God created. Amen. Especially since the marriage and, licenses were started to stop interracial marriage. Yeah, many of them were. But so I, so I go back to visit with this legislator, and I'm telling him about this new bill. And there's a little bit of a hesitancy, and the statement was made. Well, I'm still really kind of disappointed about how things turned out. And, you know, and it just sort of brought up sort of that, yeah, I was the guy that helped defeat your bill because I wouldn't support it. And, of course, there were a number of legislators looking for any excuse to not vote for something that the gay community didn't like. So, you know, I kind of gave them an out uh, and, and I get that. But anyway, I go back and the next morning I'm praying and I thought it was as if the Lord reminded me of that verse and said, see, I'm leading you in triumph, David. You didn't take long enough, none of you did, to really understand what all was going on mm. and that the problem had been in your law all along, regardless of Obergefell. That's right. I'm leading you to a better law that frees them by a totalitarian state. This is Things turned out better, David, than reenacting a law that reasserts the state owns marriage. Right. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. so, so what at the time looked to be a defeat, and I'm being castigated, God saying, no, I'm, 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 I got something more glorious to do than that. Mm. Something more wonderful to do. Something I want my people to understand beyond just this moralistic view that same-sex marriage is morally wrong. I want my people to see the glory of God and his authority over all of his creation. And I want you to loose what I've made and given to man and woman. I want you to loose it from the shackles of government that says we own it and we permit it. Mm. But see, that legislator still can't see that. And part of the reason that we can't see that, I think, in our culture is the same reason I couldn't. I was not brought up with the first two chapters of Genesis as being relevant. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a, and, and that's an objective right. knowledge about who God is and what it means to say he's eternal, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's sovereign. Um, you know, I, I wasn't brought up with any understandings of any of those things or the decrees of God or the counsel of God. So I had no place in which to understand and gain perspective that God says, I have planned it, as he says in Isaiah 46, 11. I'm just reading it again. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Yeah. You know, and I kind of want to say like, duh, you dolt. Wake up, Dave. I planned it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And there was a time when <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes was the minority and yeah. Well, so, come he, on. He won over the yeah. long term. So. Athanasius. Come on, guys. Right, right. We, this is not right. This there is how go. God tells there the stories. Go. Hey, David, we got I got to run because yeah. I got to go to another thing. But hey, I want to talk to you. I don't know what your time frame is like, but I, I do want to talk to you about how much time you have in a week to do a podcast. Let that sit. Okay. About legal stuff. Just think about it. See if you got the time and the energy and all that. I would want a year commitment from you. But I just think it would be interesting to have somebody who is. A constant resource. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know that it's out there in a podcast form to go to in a like weekly sort of weekly podcast. Yeah, I don't know that it exists out there right now that I can think of. And I think even if it's not with us, you should be doing something like this on a weekly basis because I would be listening every week, and I think a lot of other people would too because we don't have 
anybody teaching us those connections that you're talking about. Um, and so we have a lot of people like, this is why Jason and I are doing this because I'm realizing where I'm weak as it understands to metaphysics, understanding how reality is, is, um, being shifted and why we're getting the things that we are getting. But it would be interesting to see this kind of reality in law, the legal realm, and then can pour it into how it's, how it's playing out right now. I mean, I would have never thought that Obergefell is having something to do with the trans movement and the swimmers. Those those connections aren't being made for us in any kind of way. Yeah. Nobody's talking about it, and so just think yeah. about it, and and, okay. and let me know what let me know what comes to we'll, you. We'll email back and forth. That'll be, that'll that be sounds good. great. Well, I pre- it's been it's been a great blessing to be with you guys, and and uh, it really was. Thank you, thank you for being willing to take a deep dive in something 